Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com, where the discovery of self has put a show away. With a thousand plus archive shows and new shows coming to you every Tuesday, we bring you illuminating people from around the globe. Visit our store for their services and books and enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living. I am your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Vishnu Swami. The Eternal Dharma. What does that mean? How do we find spiritual evolution through surrender and embracing our life's true purpose? We're all looking for that purpose, that meaningful purpose of the reason why we are here. We all want to be contributors to life. We all want to receive from life. But how do we do that? How do we connect? How do we interact? There is so much confusion. There's so much static out there. There's so much misguidance out there. So how do you really know where to go? You have to listen from the inside out. The answers lie within. But there are many, many methods out there in how to do that and how to really surrender yourself and actually become that person of peace and tranquility, authenticity and love, finding your meaningful purpose. In the Eternal Dharma, he addresses uh, that most people in the Western culture, Dharma is an ancient word, a vague concept. Um, they don't know what it means to your fate or your duty or your karma. Oftentimes, uh, paranoid, <laughs> parodied on television, it seems to be some vaguely mystical. Actually, if you really look at television, anytime they touch anything spiritual, they always make it into a cult and a crime. That is a crime in itself. But in his powerful new book, um, it's meant for everyone seeking purpose and deep spiritual connection. The Eternal Dharma makes clear that the Dharma is something that everyone can grasp to achieve in life, an alignment with their own nature and the nature of the Divine. Without that, success, love and joy are exclusive and very, very hard to achieve. I completely agree with that. So let's take this journey with Vishnu and find out how did this all come about for him? What differences are he seeing in the world? He's called the maverick monk, the modern-day monk, I would certainly say the millennial monk, speaking to a different generation, a generation that is hungry for meaning. They've seen far too much war, far too much discord, far too much power in the wrong hands, and they really want to take back that power of their own lives and seek something that is more meaningful. So welcome to the show, Vishni. Hey, I look forward to it. It's going to be a fun show. Yes, most certainly. Well, you're speaking my language for sure. And uh, were you born this way, or is this something that you discovered on a journey of your own? It, uh, you mean searching spiritual wisdom? Mm -hmm. I well, I was 11 years old when I moved to a monastery, um, so I guess I wasn't born that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I've been doing it for quite a while. Right. For quite a while. I mean, but 11 years old to go to a monastery, was this your choice, family's choice? I mean, 11. Who makes a choice at 11? It was, I went there on a vacation with my family. They were spiritual seekers and they were, um, you know, they would practice spiritual life. So I always grew up like that. And we went to India in West Bengal is where we were. And there was this beautiful monastery there. We knew some people there. And I just fell in love with it. So I stayed there for a day and then for a week and they were still there and then a month, and then three months, and then five years, and then the rest is history. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it, was, it offered me something different to life. Life didn't seem to make sense before that. I was what 
I mean, of course, there was the normal options, college, school, growing up, and, but nothing seemed to have that much of a deep purpose or intrigue that I felt when I was there in the monastery. Yeah, a, a certain peace that you can acquire there that we don't necessarily get in the mainstream life, do we? There's a certain peace, but also, I mean, as a kid, I wasn't too much into peace. I'm still not so much about peace. <laughs> still into but trouble. But there was more of <laughs> purpose. Mm-hmm. And my book, Eternal Dharma, we talk a lot about purpose. Yes. Um, and I had more of a reason for existing. There was more of a higher higher order to life, a higher uh, state of being that just was so much more attractive. Mm-hmm. Well, let's explain to people what Dharma is. Um, you know, we're talking about the Eternal Dharma, but what does it actually mean to people? Because I think people hear so many different type of things and they don't really quite understand what it is. So can you explain Dharma to them? Dharma is such a beautiful concept. That's why I wrote the book on it. But it Dharma means inherent nature. It means constitutional function. It means nature. It means what something is, what something's natural duty is, what something's natural purpose is, as defined by its being. In other words, what the, what the idea says is that everything inherent in existence has a reason for existing mm-hmm. and, that, and, and executing that purpose of, of why it exists is its dharma. Now that can be a little bit intellectual, but simply what that means is that a car is meant to be driven and to drive on the road. It's not meant to fly. Mm-hmm. It means that water is meant to be wet. It means that a pen is meant to be ridden with, and that's just what it is. But when we take that concept further, then we see that we also have a reason why we live, why, we're, why, why we exist. And, and when we live and execute our purpose, our duty, our dharma, our inherent nature, which is natural to us, which can be obscured, and that's when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, when we have difficulties, is when we're going against who we are when we're going against our nature. So really the spiritual journey is about, is a journey of self-discovery. It's a journey of understanding who we really are and then how do we live that in every action, in every breath, in every, in every activity. Yeah, it, it's really honoring our true calling, isn't it? It's honoring what we're here to do. You know, people always say, what's the meaning of life? What's my purpose in life? It's, well, you know, when you find that calling that speaks to you so vividly, um, and it, you are so connected with it. I call it the knowingness. You know, when that divine intellect speaks to your core, it resonates with your heart. It lifts your spirit into action, and your mind knows what it needs to know when it needs to know it. It's so truthful and absolute that you cannot deny it. And that is the reason I'm here to do what we're meant to do. And each one of us is given a different gift to participate in life with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But most people don't know how to find that, though. Is you know they don't know how to quieten themselves. They don't know how to tune in. You know, as you said, the Dharma is in everything. Everything is energy. Everything is particle. Um, and people don't know how to. You you mention here in the book, you know, the separation between material, and organic, and you know, human, and you know that it's separate. You know, this is a thing. I am a person. But, you know, Dharma is about everything has a signature, everything has an energy, everything has a reason. Yeah, and that's the spiritual journey and also the practical journey. It's not just about spiritual enlightenment. That's what I was speaking about, the, the myth of the spiritual material divide. 
there's people who say that, okay, spiritual life means disappearing, going off into some cave in the Himalayas and being mm-hmm. disconnected from life, disconnected from, from, from practical living, and that means it must be spiritual because it's the opposite of material. Right. And I, I disagree. It's not about dropping off of the face of Earth, but it's about being uh, coming back to Earth and how do we live powerfully. So Dharma, oftentimes I think the reason why people feel lost with knowing their purpose is that it's not just singular. There's not just one thing. Yes, there's one eternal Dharma, there's one highest Dharma, which is a natural inclination for everybody, but we actually have several Dharmas. So one of our Dharmas, uh, our Dharmas are based, there's what I explained as temporary Dharmas and eternal Dharmas. So a temporary Dharma is there for a specific period of time. For example, if you're a mother, then taking care of your children is a dharma. And, and, and the duties and the natures and the inclinations that exist for being a mother are there when you're a mother. But before you're a mother, they weren't there. And that wasn't your dharma. Mm-hmm. So the same thing comes for your societal role, for being a spouse, for being a child. The same thing comes in, in, in your duties as, as uh, in your profession. And that's why in Sanskrit they call this Varnashram Dharma. According to your temporary state of being, you have a specific inclination and duty, which if you execute properly according to Dharma, you can do that more effective, you can do that more powerfully, you, there's more peace, there's more tranquility, and there's more serenity, uh, serenity, and it helps you on the spiritual journey. And then there is eternal Dharma, which is which is Dharma, which does, is not limited by time. It's not limited by this body. It's our core being of us as a soul, us as eternal being in loving connection with the divine. So I guess what I'm saying is that I wish life sometimes was so simple, but the <laughs> beauty of life is that it is very simple, yet it is very complex. Yes, so has many layers. has many layers. And Dharma, the principle of Dharma, were all layers of life. So on one level, there's much complexity in finding the Dharma things. And in the book we talk about, we go into the Dharma of earth, water, fire, air, ether, all the different elements, the Dharma of the world, the Dharma of the divine, and all of our individual Dharmas and exercises of how we can find that. But then also there's the, the simplicity of just love God, you know, just love the divine. <laughs> it's very yeah, simple. Exactly. Yes. And, and you know, yeah. it's, um, I kind of re- re- look at this as uh, our book of life. And, uh, you know, we, our lifetime is our book. You know, some people may have several books, but, you know, our lifetime is our book. And each chapter is, is kind of the role we're playing at that time. But then we're also breaking it down to the paragraph and to the sentence and to the word. And every single word, every single letter, every single sentence and paragraph and chapter in the book counts. And because it makes up what our book is, what our story is. And we really need to be present with every word, don't we? With every sentence. Because they're all so very, very important in the role that we play in lives. Yeah, I think that's the problem with a lot of spiritual ideology is do good stuff now and when you die, then you'll reap the benefit. Mm-hmm. And where would that work in any other business? (laughs) Give your whole life now, and when you die, we can see, we can't measure it, we don't know if it's true, that's what is going to count. Right. It's um, Really, it's the proofs in the pudding, like one of our gurus used to say. Mm -hmm. Is... It, and one of our, one, someone also asked one of our gurus, what would you do if you found out it was all baloney? Like, it's totally not true. It was just something. He said, I'll continue doing it anyway because it's so much joy. It, it, it works now. It helps me with my life now. So I'll do it, do it anyway. Follow. 
and the spiritual past, you know, even, so even if it wasn't true. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, every, I'm agreeing with you, every sentence is what matters, and when we're properly living our dharma, properly living our purpose, then every, every action, every sentence, every word becomes more empowered. We can create gre- greater physical, tangible, measured results, and our experience of doing so is heightened. We have a better experience in doing so. And coming to that place is the fun part of life, is learning how to do that all the time. Yes. Would you say that you have to be more mindful to be more soulful? More, that's a good sound bite. Um, I've never used that one before, but <laughs> sounds good to me. Because you can't really allow the soul to speak or the heart to resonate if the mind is constantly in dialogue. Because the mind is always inquiring, isn't it? Well, why is that? What does it mean? Where is it going? Well, what's next? But what if you do this? This is what the mind is constantly doing. It's data and trying to make sense of, of it. The mind. Right, exactly. That, that's, that's the mind's dharma. And, and if it's not used properly, mm-hmm. it's, how do you say it? Like I explain in the book, everything in physical reality, everything in this world is made of only eight things. Earth, water, fire, air, ether. mind, which is emotions, intelligence, which is information, and then ego, which is identity, paradigms, ideas. So the mind is one thing, it's emotions, it's constantly reacting to any stimuli which comes in front of it. And so inherent in the system that I teach based on 5,000 years is that all of these elements exist in everything. In our body, we've got earth, there's physical, we've got water, we've got blood, we've got fire, which is like an Ayurveda, or acupuncture would be digestive fire. And, uh, or, or if you just rub your hands together, there's heat, you know, there's air, you breathe in, or there's prana and chi, which is also air, for those who understand what that is. There's sound, if you clap your hands, ether, sound vibration, uh, sound comes out. All of those elements exist in our being. So we also have mind, we also have intelligence, we also have ego. And so the mind, so inherent in understanding is that none of those elements are good or bad. They just need to exist in the right proportion. Hmm. When taken out of proportion, then it can be devastating. If there's too much fire in the body, you have a fever, according to Ayurveda and, and ancient healing sciences. And what you do is you increase the water, you increase the earth to bring the fever down, and then your body comes in balance. So really it's about having each one of these elements in the right proportion. So the questioning mind, the emotional mind, that is actually an extremely powerful tool in spiritual progress. In Bhagavad Gita, which is uh, Bhagavad Gita, it's one of the most ancient uh, scriptures of India, kind of like the one of the most essential books of knowledge of, of the Hindu tradition of the, the origins of yoga. It, the, one of the most important verses there is Manmana Bhavamad Bhakto says the, the best path for spiritual life is to simply absorb one's mind in the divine. So it's not just about shutting out the mind and trying to make it disappear, trying to take that element out of the spectrum. Because, yeah, sometimes when it's, when it's mind when it's not used in the right way when it's not uh, used properly it can cause damage and uh, it's a common affliction of most of the people in our world our minds are crazy it goes here it goes there it goes here yes, it goes there exactly. and it just disturbs us and it's causes much trouble mm-hmm. and so, so so then we have meditation which brings our mind into balance and brings our mind into harmony and I think it's a um, how do you say 
an unhealthiness of a lot of spiritual traditions that want to completely like um, snuff out the mind, yes. completely disappear and, and, and make it go. But really, the, what I teach is oh, no, how do we use it so it's a powerful tool and keep it in its proper balance and proportion so that it can help us get rich, make more money, and also and, um, progress enlightenment. Now, you hit on something, get rich. A lot of people under the misconception that if you're living a spiritual divine presence, uh, that money is something that is evil. Um, you know, I always think make a shitload of money. It's what you do with it, what you seed, uh, you know, opportunities for others that counts because money is just money. It's just a currency um, and we give it far too much power. But what do you say to the people that kind of divide? You know, it goes back to the material you know, and the organic, but money has a signature all of its own, doesn't it, and a total misuse and a misconception of it. Oh, yeah. Again, money is energy. I also talked about that in Eternal Dharma, and mm -hmm. I'm actually probably going to write a book on it. Yes, right? you should it, do. It's, very, it's a big issue. <laughs> big. I'm going to write a book on sex and money, but right now we covered it a little bit in, in here. Money is an intensely powerful energy, which people have a huge emotional energy connected to because people value people's position in life and so much people go for it. So it's not the energy that's good or bad, it's just how you use that energy mm -hmm. and it's your relationship with it. Electricity is an extremely powerful energy. Now is electricity bad? Well yeah, every time I touch it I get shocked. Every time right. it's used in an electric chair it's bad. Every time, you know, but it's also, I mean, we know electricity can be used for good, it can be used for bad, it's your relationship with it. So in the same way, what we understand is everything in life is a manifestation from the divine. It's, it's an expression of the divine. It's God, in a sense, also. And it's a manifestation. So there can be nothing that exists that is inherently bad and wrong. The misconception, what comes is when we have what I call God syndrome, is where we want to be God. Mm -hmm. We want to take the position. And now what we, we follow is the dark path, which I also describe later on in the book, is where we want to dominate and control and yes. use everything for our own selfish purposes instead of using it selflessly in service. And when we do that, that's when you have all like Machiavelli and you have all the, I have to say, the dark things come out where people steal, where people abuse, where people... Uh, harm others for their selfish intent. So it's not the money that's the problem, it's who you're being in relation to it. Well, you know, the money can change people, can't they? It can change the it, the power no, of it. it enhances. The power of it. It enhances, yeah. it enhances what you are. Yeah, exactly. I, I know I know many millionaires who are very spiritual yes. and it enhances their, their either their philanthropy or their spiritual practice and I think a lot of people, maybe they're a little bit more evil inside than they think they are. Yeah. They get money and it enhances it, you yes. know? Yeah, yeah, and, th and that is a very good point. You know, it's, um, uh, you know, a hammer is a hammer for, you know, hammering in the nails. But, you know, people also use it as a weapon and anything can be changed. It depends on the vibration and, and the intent of which hand it's in. And I think that's where we come into question, you know, what is our intent in life? So many people want to pass their anger or their discontent with life on to others, are unwilling to address it and heal themselves. You know, it's blaming everyone else, making everyone else accountable for what's happened to them. And, uh, you know, if something's happened that's been done wrong, yes, you're going to be in pain. You're in victimization. 
you know, how would you suggest people can release themselves from that, release from that anger and forgive? One never forgets, but forgive so that you can actually continue in life without being burdened or haunted by, you know, what wrongs have been done to you. Yeah, I think we've all been in that situation. Mm -hmm. I was just dealing yesterday with some people who stole some money from me, and it's I was like, what am I going to do? You know, and then I was like, wait a minute, I, I teach this stuff. What do we need to do? <laughs> yes. Right? It is understand that there's a, there's a higher order to life. You know, when we, a lot of people understand the law of karma, that every action has a reaction. And so if someone is screwing us over, it can be sometimes hard to stomach that we were the cause of that in the beginning. We yeah. either must have screwed someone over in a, in a previous life or in earlier on in our life, or it was just incompetence, the way which we carried and we went through the deal or, or had the interaction in the first place. Or a lower vibration of which we're resonating on, which, you know, just invites the criminal intent. You know, it's, it's kind of where our vibration is, isn't it? It's where our vibration is. And also, like I speak about surrender in the book, and mm -hmm. there's an extreme power there's an extreme beauty and serenity that come serenity that comes from surrendering to the divine and and following that guidance. It can help you. I, I've used it in martial arts. I use it in healing. I use it, and it, it's an extremely powerful thing. But it's also very commonly misunderstood as irresponsibility. And then you have people in the spiritual life that don't take responsibility with how they act and what they do in their lives and direction so it's like okay, how do we be surrendered and access a higher power and live in service and love but at the same time be fully competent in living in, in the world and fully competent in executing what we're doing and covering our bases so we don't get screwed over like i was i was there's actually two people that 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 in, in my world took money from me and that I was very disappointed by and I was dealing with yesterday. And I was like, wait a minute, there's two people. And if I had done a better agreement with them, if I had things more written out in writing, if things were clear, if I had covered my bases, if I had had, like what my guru said, one good eye and one bad eye, if I was less, you know, then yeah. I could have protected myself. But it was my naivety that I didn't protect myself. Now, do I want to blame them? Yeah, my ego wants to blame them. I totally do want to blame them, right? Yes. And I still think what they did was morally wrong. But that leaves me with no power. Then yeah. I'm then I'm then I'm at mercy with the world. I'm at the mercy. I, I have no power. I have no effectiveness. And so now the resolve that I take is okay. I'm going to learn how to act. I'm going to increase my competency in dealing with life, and also change my emotional relationship with it and connect with the divine. Yeah, and you know I'm a lot older, so I've been quite a few through the things of this. And you know, like in my marriage, I had a browbeater. Um, and you know, words can be just as as uh, as harmful as the fist. And uh, I realized that I was giving him permission. You know, he was proverbially kicking me, but I was handing him the boots. I didn't have enough self-esteem or self-worth or self-value of myself. And when I raised that value and said no more, that's when he realized that the door was closed. Um, but it took that courage to find that and place that value and worth on myself. I think that is a hard of people, isn't it? Because their value very often is dictated not only from this lifetime, but from other lifetimes. Um, and they think that's all they are. And it's, we've got to raise that vibration. We've got to raise our self-worth. We've got to open up that divine and let it in and guide us forward so that we can step into our, you know, into our true worth and our true authenticity. 
And as you said, it's um, take ownership of what we allow to happen to us. Uh, and the other person has to take ownership of the actions that they took. But we can't take on their actions as well as our own. And their taking ownership is their business. Yes. You're not going to be able to force them to do that. That's their journey. And so, in a sense, no one can do injustice to you. Mm -hmm. No no one can do. Yes, they might have to reap the results of their karma and their action and their injustice that, that... what what they're doing. I'm not saying that everyone, what everyone does is right for them, but for you, you understand that result, that's your karma. That's the result of what you've done. Karma means action, and that your actions led to a certain reaction. And when we take responsibility with that, one that can be, it can be a little painful to take that on. Like, what? You're saying it's my fault, but, <laughs> but he was beating me. Yeah. You know, he stole from me. How's that my fault? But when we, when we come to a higher state of being, then that, that really puts us in the driver's seat. The responsibility that means that I have if I can if I can create people beating me I can also people worshiping me I can also create loving relationships I can also create a bit uh, more money I can create whatever I want to create if I increase that competency and take that responsibility and it empowers us because it's not yeah. blaming ourselves right um, you know, you you have a, a bit in here about forgiveness. And, you know, I've made s- some mistakes and I go, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? There's no point in beating myself up. I recognize I chose wrong. Now I know better. It's for me to choose the right path with the knowledge that I know. And we can't beat ourselves up for things that we did because we reacted or we did those things with the information we had at that time. When we know better, we can move forward. But forgiveness, self-forgiveness, I think is probably even harder than forgiving someone else. Yeah, that's important. And that's, how do you say, that's the kind of thing that you, if you do therapy, you do the personal growth and things like that can help you with, with, with doing that. And I think it's essential for almost everybody in life to go through just like we take care of our body, mm-hmm. we take care. We we eat healthy foods, or we sh- we try to eat healthy food yeah. sometimes, right? And, and 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 exercise and do things for our body. Taking care of our mind, taking care of our emotions, also need to happen. And that's, I mean, that's in a sense a, a, a cornerstone of personal growth, self forgiveness, self understanding, taking personal responsibility. In eternal dharma, I explain. I explained it also here a little bit about the elemental spectrum, how everything is just made of eight things, including us, earth, water, fire, air, ether. So we do things to take care of our physical body, the physical things, the earth, water, fire, air, ether, and and that's, how do you say, medical things to take care of our physical body, but then taking care of our mind, taking care of our intelligence, taking care of our identity, our ego, that's also essential, that's also very powerful in a sense, more powerful, more important than taking care of our physical being because the subtle creates the physical. Mm-hmm. So doing things are, in a sense, that is what yoga is. People sometimes ask us, why is yoga spiritual? All you're doing is exercise. I mean, <laughs> it's workout, crunch gym, how's that spiritual? You know? And, and the point is, again, is the material and spiritual divide. That is a myth, that they're not divided. The material and the spiritual are one. This, the material world is a manifestation of the spiritual world, of the spiritual dimension. So what yoga does is it keeps our body and also our mind. That's why there's the meditation side of yoga. And it keeps all the elements, all of our, our being in balance and harmony and peace 
So from that place of steadiness, from that place of peace, from that place of serenity, which is not the goal, that's just the starting point, um, that, that place of peace, serenity, from there, then we can cultivate a spiritual consciousness. Then we can connect with the divine in a loving, beautiful relationship when we're not disturbed by the things of this world. Like if you stub your toe, it's very hard to be conscious, <laughs> right? Because it's like, ow, my toe hurts! <laughs> so in, in the same way, if we've got many negative thought pa- patterns and we haven't dealt with our emotions or if our back hurts or if we're if, if, if any one of those elements are out of proportion or are unhealthy stagnant any part of our physical body or subtle body or emotional body then that also takes us away it's a distraction from this spiritual path which is cultivating love mm-hmm. and, and, and you know yoga is it's kind of long and stretching right like qigong or tai chi um, you know, people think, well, you're just kind of swinging your arms this way and doing it slowly. How can that have an effect? But, uh, you know, on the physical fascia, it's, it's stretching that out. And if we don't, it can turn to bone on the medical level. Um, and we need to stretch our bodies out because it's physically good for them. But it opens up all the chi. It opens up all the energy to flow uh, throughout our body, which then kind of connects with our universe and allows that knowledge to come through and that peace. Um People who do practice this uh, regularly generally do find that they are far more equipped to deal with life. Um, stuff is still going to happen to you, uh, but you're going to get over it quicker. Uh, you're going to be able to deal with it better, and you're not going to let it attach to you because you've developed these tools in order to do that. So if we don't take care of the emotions, it's going to cause a breakdown on the body, and we need to take care of the body so that the emotions um, can be coped with as well. So we're, we're very interactive with ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. In the New Age world, that idea of, for example, the secret, I shared the stage with the, the whole cast of the secret in, in one event and stuff. Or or there's these, there's a common notion, say like Louise Hay or, or different things. Yeah, the mind, our thoughts create our reality, our, our mind creates our physicality. And that sounds good, and a lot of people, they experience, they do stuff like that, and it works, and that's why there's a lot of people speak with it with so much conviction. I always, me, I'm a little bit technical-minded, and, I'm, and I think, well, how? Mm-hmm. Why? Does it really? Or how do I know this is not just some, how do you say, mental, woo-woo kind of idea that's not really real? Like, how do we really know that? So I spent about eight years creating my elemental system, extracting it from the wisdom that it shows exactly how the subtle creates the physical in a step-by-step fa- fashion. How does our mo- how does our desires how do they translate into physical, tangible buildings? And when you go into it, it's really interesting to see that in reality, there's basically two types of stuff or two types of things. There's physical things and there's subtle things. There's things that you can see, there's things that you can touch, there's things that you can measure, and there's things that you can't see, things that are intangible, things that are that are etheric. And so they're harder to see, they're harder to perceive, but those things are the things that are more powerful. For example, the law. A law, what is a law? Where does the law exist in the ether or the air? It's just something written on some piece of paper in Washington or, <laughs> or, 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 or somewhere else. But if you break the law, then all of a sudden you have bars around, you have people beating you with, with, with sticks and handcuffs, right? So the physical came, the subtle power of the law is what created the physical, the physical reality or, or blueprints for a building. There's just some squiggles on a piece of paper and some writing. What is writing? It's just little shapes. 
but that conveys a meaning and that's that can create entire buildings that can create entire city maps that can create um so anyway i can talk about this for a while but i go into a lot of detail of the subtle reality and physical reality and how they interact how does the physical support and create this subtle so how do we use our physical body in order to create our emotions states being consciousness and more specifically the most subtle thing which is a connection loving with the divine and then how do we harness more subtle energies which can be things like chi that you were speaking mm -hmm. about why I bring it up or prana or energy inside the body and even more subtle things like emotion or even more so like information or paradigms beliefs identities and and desires those are the most subtle things and how do we in a sense use those to create physical reality and, and no they automatically do create physical reality but how do we be more aware adjust things so so the whole system works squeaky clean you know so that yeah. we so it happens the way that that we want it to Fine, a well-oiled machine, so yeah. to speak, yeah. um, and everything yeah. working cohesively together. Um, you know, as somebody was saying, you know, real nice car, it's purring uh, because everything's working beautifully together. And that's really what we want in life, isn't it? We want things to be in sync. You know, we want things not to be going against us, but going with the flow, you know, so that you really can get out there and do what you're meant to do. You really can celebrate life and interact with life and uh, do what you're here to do. Um, and if we constantly have these blockages within us, it's a, you know, it, it, it can stop us from achieving, you know, that journey. Um, you know, we talked earlier about the service of life. That's what we're here to do, aren't we? We're here to serve one another, to serve humanity. But many, many people become servants of humanity and that sacrifice. And we're really not helping anyone. As you said, when you die, you know, <laughs> there's no, you know, um, golden bucket at the end of your rainbow um you need to celebrate life now because this the gift of life is in the present it's in the moment the joy of giving purpose of of living is right now it's not tomorrow and it's not at the end mm -hmm. yeah i i agree now service there's that's a whole nother subject, which is a really good subject. Let's hit on it. Let's hit on it. Let's hit on service. Yes. Okay. But b before we get on service, I just want to tell the listeners that that if you want to create that squeaky, oily machine of life so that it's purring, then Eternal Dharma is exactly that. My book and you get it on maverickmonk.com or eternaldharma. Uh, dot com and I highly recommend it. Of course, I do because it's my book. Yeah, um, I highly recommend not, it. Not too. just because it's my book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, I, I, as an yeah. insert on yeah. that, I highly recommend it because you've made it such easy reading, and you've made it very clear and concise. You don't highfalutin anything. You don't go off into a tangent. You know, you're very kind of practical the way you write, and uh, you, you're giving facts that are very easily achieved. You know, and very easily understood. So you've written the book very, very well. I think a lot of people on the spiritual path, it's because emotion is involved and because we're talking about subtle elements, it loses concreteness mm -hmm. when people speak. It's not practical, it's not tangible. It's like, I feel this, and it yeah. kind of exists in an etheric, mystical thing. And if you're experiencing that, you're like, that's real, I get that. But if you're watching it from the outside, it, it doesn't look that way. Right. <laughs> like, what the hell's going on here? And um, so what I really try to do, and in some of my marketing, I say that I, I, what I give is spiritual clarity. 
Yes. It's, it's, it, that's what I strive for myself is how do we have concrete, practical, uh, clear, structured, measurable understanding of the spiritual domain? Um, how do we understand these subtle, refined, essential truths practically now and what the, 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 the tangibility? So, yes, I did. So I took it as a compliment that that it worked, that it was clear. And yes, <laughs> definitely and, clear. And, 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 and very and much a how to in that understanding. You know, just oh, I wrote it as a training program. Exactly. I, I said, it's a training program. It's like, do this exercise so that you can experience it. So it's not just an intellectual idea, but right. you can taste it. Yeah. And just even, you know, all of the elements, you, even, you know, the way you break it down and, and, uh, and really truly speak to every one of them, it, it all makes sense. And it's, you know, you want things to be adaptable and adoptable. You want people to adapt to it. You want them to be able to adopt it. It a way that makes sense to them and that they can integrate it into their daily lives. And you've, you've written something here that, you know, it's not going to happen all in one sitting. It's a process that they're going to have to go through uh, an understanding. But it's one of those things if they need to know something today after reading the book. What do I need to do today? Go to the chapter. Just open up the book. It'll speak to you on what you need to know at that time. So I think it's one of those books that will kind of be constantly read because it's always taking them back to something that they need in clarity because you don't just speak it, you show them how to use it and how to integrate it into their lives. And that's what it's all about, integration. <laughs> yes, yes. So let's get to service. Yes. So for the listeners, maverickmonk.com or you can go to Barnes & Nobles anywhere or... or yeah, but maverickmonk.com, eternal dawn. So service. Service is a very, I find it a very interesting subject. And the reason why I say that is because on one level, we want to be served. We don't want to serve. We say, yeah, service is good if people are serving me. We may not see that so <laughs> consciously, but that's, that's kind of in, in, in built into our psyche and built into our minds. But yet, if you've experienced a lot of people serving you, enjoy that for a little bit, but it does not bring the inner fulfillment and the inner happiness that comes in serving. There's a greater type of happiness that is available from being selfless and from serving and to the psyche, to the mind, that, that almost be, seems like, yeah, right? Like, are you serious? And what I explain is that, that there's... In love, there's two dynamics. There's the giver and there's the receiver in love. In any kind of love play, there has to be that. If there's a mother and there's a child, the mother is giving love when she's breastfeeding the child, and the child is taking it by, by taking the breast milk. So who is serving and who is being served? The mother is serving and the child is being served. Now, who's having a better time? They're both having a good exactly. time. Exactly. That's what love is. But if you were to go into it, you could probably even say the mother is having a better time than the child in that situation because mm -hmm. there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. Yes. There's, and and there's, there's, more, there's more beauty in that. So the, so the concept of service, one thing is, okay, in our relationships, in our family and our friends, the more that we give, the more that we serve, the happier we are. And that's that's something's practical. That's if you want to switch something around. If you're having a, a, a miserable day, just start serving, just start giving selflessly, and it will turn your day around. I have I've had that experience many times. Maybe I'll tell a little story about that after this. But more specifically, is really our eternal dharma, our core spiritual nature, is serving God, having a loving relationship 
with God, with the divine. And our problem is, is when we try to make God our servant. Oh, God, give me this. Yes. Oh, divine, channel through me so I can create that. Oh, 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 uh, and like, okay, I'm going to do the spiritual stuff so I can get this. And we approach the spiritual path in a selfish way, a self, selfish way. And that's, that's natural and that has its place and that's important. You know, I'm not, any, any reason for coming is good. Any reason practicing is good. But when the real magic, when the key unlocks and we really go into a different dimension is when now it's not about us. It's yeah. about the divine and we're serving that will. And that gives us so much more power, so much more money and happiness. Education. I mean, that's the thing about when you serve someone or, you know, serve anything and you see the results you know, of um, even rescuing an animal, or helping someone across the street, uh, making someone's day by making them smile, paying attention to them. There's a great deal of gratification in knowing that you've had an impact on someone, that you've changed, you know, their, their energy shift, you've changed their perspective, you've lifted them out of wherever they were. Um, and I think we actually kind of take gratitude for granted, don't we? Yeah, it's the most beautiful thing mm -hmm. uh, to tell you on the day that I was initiated to made to be made the world's youngest Swami I was that was the biggest day of my life I was 23 years old I was in India and in West Bengal there was 15,000 people it was during the festival where we had 15,000 people so at the seminar at the ceremony we had thousands and thousands of people and there was maybe four of us yeah there was four or five of us that were becoming swamis, which is the most highest respected monk position. But I was 23, which is unheard of. Everyone else was 60, 70, 80 years old. And, and so all of the attention was on me. I remember thinking, well, on that day, so it was, we had a whole elaborate you know, spiritual ceremony. And I remember thinking, this is my, this is my day. And, and so something switched in my mind, and I was thinking, wow, this is such a big deal. It's about me. And then my, my attention, instead of focusing on caring about other people and loving other people, was selfish. I was like, people, because it, especially in the Eastern tradition, people respect swamis amongst a lot. If you come, they go on the floor and pay obeisances. And I was, and it was, anyway, it was a big deal. So I started thinking about me and about how people should be treating me or about uh, what, what does this mean and, 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 and how this is. And, and basically all, all my energy was in me, was in me. And I was miserable. After the ceremony, I was going around, I was interacting with people. I had such a terrible time. <laughs> it was, I was not happy. And I was like, but this is supposed to be the best, the best day ever. Why am I not happy right now? And I realized that, wait a minute, I totally missed the point. I'm, I'm selfish. I'm having the energy be focused on me instead of other people. Right. And then I, I switched and I said, no, I just care about other people. So people would come and they'd, they'd, they'd bow down and they'd be like, wow, uh, you, 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 you were made a sannyasi, a, a, a swami. And then I just, in a sense, totally was like, yeah, whatever, that's not what matters. How are you? What's up with you? And I was really started getting involved in their lives and trying to help them. And then all of a sudden, it was, I remember it was so strong because one, it was a big, intense situation, but two, it was, it was just a simple switch that I did. It was a, a choice that I made in that moment. Yeah. I made that choice. I changed my way of being, and my experience was completely different. So it was almost like it was a cloudy day. I made the choice, and then it was a sunny day. Right. And it just, it just switched it. And, and so if you're ever miserable, you're probably focusing on yourself too much. Yes. You know? Start focusing on others. Forget about yourself. You are important. You're great. Love yourself, but forget about it. 
serve, and more specifically, serve the divine, your day will completely change around. And I say that not from that experience. That's just a, a, a bit of a dramatic one, but from many, many experiences. And, of course, I, I teach this. So I've seen it in others also. Well, I, I 100% agree with you. In fact, my radio station or radio shows, um, which just celebrating the fifth year of hosting, um, it came about through depression. And when I get depressed, I have to active. I have to get out there and serve someone else. I have to go and help somebody else through something. Because if I'm not in purpose, it makes my depression worse. And uh, somebody saw an article that I had written on something I was doing to help someone else and said, I think you should have your own radio show. And, you know, here I five years later from, you know, that little radio show to my own station with 1,800 collective shows on here. So you never know where your journey is oh, going wow. to go, right? You know, and it came yeah. from depression. And uh, so we can't dictate how things are going to happen. You know, you went off your family on a journey on holiday and it became your life calling. You know, and so yeah. we have to be open and, and ready to receive. And when an opportunity is given to you, um, don't second guess it. It was given for a reason. Just do it and see where it goes. So then the question is, okay, if there's the spiritual, uh, how do you say, if there's a higher order of life that kind of, uh, how do you say, guides our journey so our depression can lead to our greatest success. Also, I describe in my book my the most painful time I went in my life, totally turned my life around and made mm-hmm. me the maverick monk. The greatest gift. And led to this book. Yeah. And so in, in our darkness is often where we find our light. Yes. In our, in, in our, in our, in our down times. But obviously we're not going to go and pursue dark stuff. No, right? no, no. It's <laughs> going to find you. We don't you. want that. We don't <laughs> want the painful stuff. <laughs> no. So, no. So then the question is, well, what do we do? How do we exist? How do we be? And I was thinking about this myself yesterday or the day before yesterday. I was, I, I contemplate all. And I was thinking the real question is, how do we live life? Mm-hmm. How do we be? And the simple answer is Dharma. It comes back down to Dharma is who are we? Mm-hmm. What is our duty? What is our inclination? What is our nature? What is our individuality? And how do we live it? How do we be? And and if we just stick to our dharma, we just stick to who we are, our nature, then life just unfolds beautifully and, and there's less pain and suffering in the process. And that's, how do you say, then that's a clear place where we can focus our energy. Otherwise, life is so confusing. Otherwise, there's so many different options. It, for the, Anyway, yeah, there's so many... I can go off in a while. I'm trying to hold myself back. But there's so much <laughs> to figure out in the world. It can get so confusing. But if we just know who we are, then the whole world is, is, is helped. Well, you, it, know? you know, it's very, very, very big point because one of the things that I do, I'm a soul awakener and, and I was a personality identifier. Um, and, you know, half the time people are going and living the expectation that's being put upon them and not living their divine truth of who they really are. So it's a, a very often a lack of identity of who am I, why am I, what am I here for? And the, that expectation that's been imposed on them by family, by, by church, by school, um, it, of everything of what they should be. And when we actually step into ownership of who we are, why we are here, and what we're designed to do, because it's all part of our DNA, um, you know, then we're at peace with self, aren't we? Because we're in, not only in purpose, but we're in sync of the reason why behind that purpose. But it really is essential that we honor ourselves because we are the instrument that we use in helping other people. Completely. Then the question, the real question is, well, then how do we find that? Yeah. And I wish it was 
I wish it was as easy as the first test, the first exercise that I give in Eternal Dharma, which helps you find that. Um, but really, it's much, really, you've got to read the rest of the book. Yes. That's the first exercise. But it's, what I'm saying is really, it's, it's a lifetime process to be able to come in deeper clarity of who we are and refine our Dharma and live that more. And it's such a beautiful process. And, and it was interesting because I actually Melissa showed the very first show that I did, which was a Monty Python skit. Everything went wrong because I pressed all the wrong buttons and it was live. Um, one of the reasons I don't do live shows anymore. Um, <laughs> but I listened to it and I thought, gosh, I've really evolved since then. But however, my content, my truth was the same. All I am now is I'm able to articulate it and speak to it um, with a different vibration. So who we are and our truth and our core is always there, but it's how we allow it to speak, how we allow it to to flourish is part of our journey. Yeah. Yeah. Our Dharma doesn't change. Mm-hmm. It's just whether we live it or if we don't. And if we live it, how well do we live it? Yes. Yeah. Oftentimes we know, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. But if that's just, this is what I'm supposed to do, there's not much energy behind that. It doesn't work very right. well, you know, is how do we imbibe that in our being? Yes. You know? Imbibe it into so it's not just about It's not just about knowledge. There's also, there's also, I think, people on this spiritual, I don't talk, but there's competency. There's spiritual competency. There's practical competency. And that's essential in life. Now, you've hit on something I was about to ask you. So you, you segued very well for me. I would like you to explain... The difference between knowing a conscious awareness and cognitive intelligence, one of the uh, potencies of the soul, and intelligence as we know it. Okay. In, in Sanskrit, there's Gyan and Vigyan, which is theoretical knowledge, information, data. You know, that can be written on a computer. It can be there in code. You can write it down. And then there is experiential knowledge or realized knowledge, knowledge that's real and imbibed in your being. An example that I give is of a tidal wave. I live in Hawaii next to the ocean, which is absolutely fabulous. And But if a tidal wave comes, you can know the temperature of the water, you can know, know its velocity and the chemical composition and its speed and why it came. You can know all the science behind it. But if you don't get up and get move out of the way, yeah. it hits you and you're destroyed, right? Some, but someone can know none of that and you can just move out of the way and it works. Um, so the same thing comes with eating, right, is you can know everything about the food or you can just eat the food. And spiritual life is more about eating, it's more about moving out of the way than knowing. Yes, intellect and knowledge and information is important and it supports you. It's like if you know there's a tidal wave coming, then you can move out of the way. It supports you in that way. So I do get a lot of intellect, but really where the rubber hits the road is where does that theory or where does that data, how does that manifest? How does that become an integral part of being? You know, and that's why there are meditate practices and mantra meditation and different spiritual processes to make this, because we're having a, a nice, happy discussion here, but what about when we are, when someone does steal money from us, or when we are stuck in a traffic jam, or when we, when we, when we did lose our job, or, or, or then that's when there's the real test of spiritual, of spiritual evolution and growth, of living that, or, you know, or when we are starting a business. Mm-hmm. So I guess the simple answer is there's, theoretical knowledge and there's realized knowledge and realized knowledge always trumps theoretical knowledge like they say an ounce of an ounce of practice is better than a pound of 
knowledge. Yes, it, it, well, it's it's yeah, also yeah. it's that database, isn't it? And it's a uh, it's not to rely on database to live in. It's uh, to extract that database when you need to know it. You know that, as I said, when the the mind will know what it needs to know when it needs to know it, um, and it knows what it, data to extract for that information at the time. That you know that some people would call it that intuition, as you call it, realized knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's that instinctual, intuitive knowingness uh, that guides you, that then knows what to extract from that data bank that's in there. Um, well, what if you get hit on the head? The data bank is completely lost. Uh, the soul will speak, but the brain, the brain <laughs> may not get the message. <laughs> you see, and if you get hit on the head and the data is completely lost, your mother is still your mother, whether yes. you remember it or not. The relationship still exists. Mm -hmm. And your body is still the body, whether you understand it or not. So spiritual wisdom, in a sense, is as independent from yeah. information as other parts of reality. So the relationship, the love that you have with God, the experience, the, 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 the connection, your spiritual evolution, your spiritual growth, even if all the data is gone, uh, it still exists and it still helps us and drives us forward. And that's why what I believe is that the spiritual journey can be a multi-life journey. So that time the database is lost. Our, our identity, identification with this body is completely lost. Our temporary dharma is completely lost. But all we're left with is the, this state of evolution in which our soul has, has gone and on the spiritual path, and that continues in the next life. For um, a lot of children today are born they call them the indigo kids, uh, you know, autistic. Um, I have a very different view to mental challenges, as I call them. Um, you know, some of it comes from post-traumatic stress. Some of it comes, you know, from, um, um, a, you know, a different kind of wiring in the brain. But um, I've interviewed, you know, autistic people and many people on it. Um, and really, all it is is, is just a different... Um, way of communicating a different way of understanding knowledge it's not um inferior to us uh, it's just f functioning on a different channel what do you think about that i have not looked into autism today, but i do know that i was sitting next to someone who had asperger's and autism in a seminar and he was sitting there i didn't notice he seemed a little bit different but not that much different and I, I, I spoke with it was networking. It was a, it was a business seminar, and uh, and then he, I asked him, so what do you do? What are you about? And he says, oh, I teach people how to get rid of autism. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he says, because I have autism. And I was like, what? You do? <laughs> he didn't mm -hmm. seem autistic at all. And he said, and, and this is what he told me, and it's, it, was, it was so impactful because it's so in alignment with what I teach. But to see it applied in this extreme situation was was mind blowing. He said, what I teach people is to trust. He says the shaking and, 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 and all that, that physical kind of the thing that we see when we see someone's autistic and the pain is they're scared. And people are scared and they're not trusting themselves. They're not trusting the universe. They're not trusting life. And that fear goes and, and destroys the nerves and, 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 and creates that physical manifestation. But what I do is I teach people to trust themselves to trust in God, to trust the divine, to trust their family, to trust everything, and they can relax. And when they relax, then the body goes and heals the physical, the physical, how do you say, negative things that happen from autism. And that's, I mean, 
that's so in alignment with what I teach. But mm-hmm. it was amazing because he didn't he didn't think he had autism. Right. And then I then every time I saw or saw someone of, who was autistic after that, I kind of looked and I've been part, parts of my life where I'm scared or where I'm emotional, mm-hmm. where where I can't take it, and I and I do similar motions <laughs> as, as people that are autistic, and and I think, wow, they're just so scared. And it, it it makes sense because life is a scary place, you know. It's there's a lot of I live in Hawaii, so I see rainbows regularly, and there's it's it's beautiful and stuff. But but life is tough. Life can be scary. Life can be can there can be. It, we live in such a chaotic, such mm-hmm. a dangerous world, and we're lucky if we're not experiencing the acute. How do you say? fear and danger that exists in this world but at every step you can every time you drive your car you're doing something that's so dangerous yes it's a weapon you know (laughs) there's never been a day when there hasn't been war on earth Mm -hmm. there's ever since recovery history there's always been someone killing someone over something stupid yes and 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 it's just always happens every second there's murders there's people dying and, and and just there's always death 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 Suffering, suffering, pain, loss, misery, and I. It's almost amazing how we're not all as how do you say completely terrified of everything in life. How we're always not just ah, yeah. freaking out to, to to that fear. And I think often that from delusion, we become delusional about the real the real pain and the suffering and the 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 problems in the world that we live in. And and that delusion kind of dilutes us, and we can be happy and turn on Netflix and be happy, turn on the TV and just pretend that it's okay. But really, we're not in touch with the real pain and horribleness of life. And I know it's supposed to be an uplifting show; we're not supposed to mention that, but it's true. No, no, we have to it's talk true. reality. And, and, and that leads me to a paragraph that you read: "My way is better than your way." And I think that is actually kind of one of the problems that we have is is that people become very territorial on their beliefs they're very territorial on it has to be their way you know uh, a, a, you know dogmatic religion dogmatic a point of view and that's what causes the divide and you know it's um we need to look at the fundamentals don't we uh you know of what of what works love kindness generosity you know caring um service and those are the fundamentals and if we started treating each other humanely, um, we would actually have a much better humanity because it's not like a one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, in the third part of the book, we go into the Dharma of the divine. We go into the spiritual stuff in, in a lot of depth. And what you're referring to is I explained that there's three stages of spiritual evolution. The first stage is my way is the only way. Everyone else is going to hell. I'm right. You're, you're wrong. Right. <laughs> and that's an expression of ego, which is dogmatic religion, which, I mean, so many people have been killed over. It, a yes. lot of that suffering I was just describing right. ha- comes from that psychology. Yep. And then the, the, the second stage is new age spirituality, where everything, now we're all all paths are the same. All, 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 all paths are beautiful. We love all people of all religions, and, and and they're all equal. And that's beautiful because you need to open your heart. You need to, um, how do you say, love others and see the beauty and the serenity and the power that exists in so many different cultures, religions, and spiritual paths and people's individual journey. And then the third stage is what I explain is where we where we in a sense create our own path and we go deep into that path 
which may be aligned with a religion or with a culture. There may be well, inherent ideas that we have an individual relationship with the divine, and instead of seeing all the relationships as the same or all the approaches as the same, we go deep into our relationship because there's a special sweetness that can be extracted from that. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, we can talk about that for a while, but when the listeners go to maverickmonk.com and get eternal dharma, they'll learn all the practical, effective stuff, they'll learn how to get rid of all that pain we described, but then also be able to cultivate and create our own spiritual journey that is completely uniquely tailored to us and can provide us a special type of sweetness, which is not, which is not available wholesale on the market. You know, it's not available everywhere. It's, it's our individual sweetness. Yeah, and, you know, it's... Um you know, the body is made up of trillions of cells and every single cell is important because when a cell starts breaking down, you know, it can cause all of the other cells around it to start breaking down as well. And so we need to look at ourselves as a very important cell as part of that collective, you know, individual, but with purpose to serve the whole. Um, it's the same with a with an orchestra. Everybody has their instrument to play. But when we step up and harmonize and synchronize, we you know we create a symphony that speaks to so many. And I think it's own your instrument, you know, ha- harness your instrument, protect your instrument, play it with love, with passion, um, you know, with purpose. And, uh, you know, you'll find your part in the orchestra. So, you know, your book is, is very well written. As I've said, you've really delivered very practical advice. Um, some people will read it, you know, front to cover, um, you know, and some people may go back to it, which, as I say, just open up a chapter, what do I need to know today, or go back as reference. But you've written it very clearly, um, very practically, very invitationally. So well done on your writing. I know it took you eight years to do this, and it was well worth waiting for. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, thank you for being here with us today and for doing the work that you are doing. Um, you know, you're not preaching you're inviting by inspiring and if this is what we really need nobody wants to be preached to anymore they want to be invited they want solutions okay yes all right i need to be more spiritual i need to embrace my dharma but how because they're all stressed out well you give them that in the internal dharma the how how to break it down how to embrace it how to immerse it into their living um because it is it's not just something you switch on like an app. Download app. Here's my dharma. It is something that you have to be willing to uh, incorporate into your life and a journey that you're willing to take. And you, you present it very well. Um, and uh, this is a very good tool for people to use in embracing that inner beautiful divine self. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you. And for those who want to get it, who you should get it, eternaldharma.com or maverickmonks.com. You can also get it in Barnes and Nobles and most bookstores across the United States. Right. But um, yeah, maverickmonk.com. And I look forward to continuing my journey, my relationship with you through the book and through other online programs and articles. And, and so, yes. Yeah. And you know, the fact that you are so young is a great invitation for the young people who feel maybe the older generation doesn't get them. You know, you are young, you do get them, you're very real about what's going on in the world, you're not detached but you are bridging that gap and showing people how they can be uh, at one, you know, both with their divine and their human selves in this world and how to use this practically in every single moment of the day um, premises. Um, So you're speaking their language, which is wonderful, which is what we need. So again, thank you very much. So it's maverickmonk.com. 
Um, you also have Vishnu at uh, maverickmonk.com for an email, Facebook, uh, Vishnu Swami. Actually, would you pl please spell your name so people know how to spell it properly? V-I-S-H-N-U, Swami, S-W-A-M-I. V-I-S-H-N-U, Swami, Dabasmaya. Excellent. And Dharma is spelled with an H, so it's D-H-A-R-M-A, -A, Dharma. Right. Eternal Dharma is the book, maverickmonk.com is the site. Wonderful. <laughs> so he's on Twitter, he's on LinkedIn, he's on Facebook, he's everywhere. Look at his YouTubes, they're very energetic, they're very inspiring. Uh, he is the modern day monk, you know, he's here to help you um, get where you need to go. And uh, again, very practical, very inviting uh, book and also presence. So again, thank you, Vishnu. And to everybody else, the journey, it doesn't hold you are or where you are in your life. You can start it now, just with intent. Remember, you're worth it, but also you are the answers that we seek in the world. We need your peace to bring about peace. Until next time, folks. Bye now.